What are we calling this Christmas series? Do we have a name? Like, it's only been nine years of this podcast, and we never settled on a proper Christmas name. Ugh, I don't know the the why is this thing Christmas extravaganza? I don't. Know. I mean, that's just really an incredible. Na- I, did you just see that genius at work? Nick? <laughs> it really. I mean, it's the extravaganza was really. Do you know that, that scene in the Beatles documentary? Where Paul McCartney just like conjures get back from like in his abdomen. Like it just fucking right. it flows out of him. Just the you words watch an and the artist at work. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I think what we just experienced now when he came up with the why is this a thing? Christmas extravaganza as the name for this. You know, Nick and I have only been working overtime for nine fucking years trying to come up with punny titles for all of these stupid miniseries we do. Yeah. And the first thing you come up with is the Christmas extravaganza. Yeah. Nick, what do you think? Let's workshop this a little bit. Do you like where he's going with this? Uh, I feel like we can do more with, like, you know, stuff your stockings or uh, coming down your chimney or something or coming up your chimney. (laughs) Coming up your chimney. Make it sound... Yeah, well, right. I almost like doing it in reverse, we're coming, coming up, up your chimney. Up the chimney. <laughs> we're, we're getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> kind of like that. I love the, the image of you guys just like throwing papers all over the place <laughs> on the desk, and I'm sitting there on my phone like, what do we do, Adam? I don't know, the Christmas extravaganza? Yeah, no, it's the scene from Hudsucker Proxy where yeah. like, we're coming up with the hula hoop, and you just draw a circle on a chalkboard. <laughs> That's right. It's like brilliant. (laughs) Give this man a raise. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever we're calling it, it's Christmas time, guys. It's fucking Christmas morning. Uh, We're doing four Christmas movies the month of December. This week we are doing a movie that has been on our short list for... I don't know, longer than we've even done the podcast, Nick. I feel like it's been on this list forever. I think the very first Christmas it got on this list. So so this was definitely a Zach idea then. That would be my guess. Yeah, I I mean, who knows now? It's like, can we really track down who wrote the Bible? I'm not sure. I, I don't even know how this thing originated. But yeah, we've been talking about doing Black Christmas forever. And now we're finally doing one of the first ever slasher movies. The prototypical Christmas horror movie, Black Christmas from 1974, directed by the big homie Bob Clark, starring Olivia Hussey and Margot Kidder. It's my first watch, guys. How about you guys? It was my first watch, too. Same. Yeah. I'm a little ashamed that it's my first watch because it should be my thing. It's just one that I think I missed. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Maybe it's the thought of doing a Christmas slasher. I'm like, yeah, I, I reserve that for Halloween, right? It's not a Christmas thing. Good point. It's hard to decide when you're watching this thing. Yeah. So throughout the year, it's like, yeah, do I do it on Halloween? Ah, I'll wait for Christmas, and then I'm in the I'm in the mood for a lifetime movie. I'm exactly. Not for, you know, people getting their throats slit. I'm a little shocked, actually. I I thought this was gonna be 
kind of gimmicky and I thought it was only famous because it was one of the few Christmas slashers and it was just one of the first. So I thought it was kind of just uh, grandfathered into being famous. In the way that like Hocus Pocus is on Halloween or something. Sure. Yeah, yeah, right. 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 I didn't realize that this film was actually like a legit deserving cult classic in the slasher franchise. In the DNA of the modern slasher is this movie. I mean, it's not the first slasher. There was like Peeping Tom and obviously Psycho and, you know, Texas Chainsaw and stuff like that. But in the Halloween mold, I mean, this was the first Halloween and there's a lot of like urban myth about how Halloween came to be and it involves this movie. They're different, I would still say. Their approaches are... I would go so far as to say notably different, but yeah, even, totally. even still, the certainly the voyeuristic elements. Uh, yeah, the POV shots from the killer and whatever, yeah. Absolutely, and just the, the holiday idea behind it, setting a horror movie on a, on a notable holiday is grand and everything. I think the biggest thing for me is just like how friggin' well made the thing is. It's incredibly well made. Let, let me just say this, guys. Like, I, I, I was a little surprised in a way because I had heard the reputation of this movie is actually quite positive. And when I heard that we were doing it yeah. on the podcast, I was like, I thought that was a good movie. What I was not expecting is that I think it's sort of a great movie. Oh, yeah. I thought it was kind of fucking awesome. This movie <laughs> fucking rips so hard. Yeah. Like to the point where I like want to watch it every Christmas. Yeah. Now. I want to add like I watched Elf on Thanksgiving night. I want to just like add this to the rotation. Yep. 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 I might make the argument that it doesn't feel as Christmassy as you might expect. Yes. Well, I don't think it really uses the Christmas iconography in the way that like Eyes Wide Shut and, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night. These later ones, I think, really play into the Christmas. And this could have been set in the summertime. And I don't think it would have made a difference. And if you're one of those guys who argues that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, you can't argue this isn't. Yeah. I mean, there is that Christmas music that plays underneath. And there's that great scene with the carolers. Yes. The intercutting back and forth, I thought was kind of brilliant yes when margot kidder is getting stabbed with the ice pick right well it's not it's a little little giallo throwback there with right. the interesting object to kill someone and they're using the the horse trophy or something like that the unicorn yes that's what it is yeah right hell yeah right no i still think it's a christmas movie by the way it's still there's enough of the holiday spirit and vibe here it's a feeling of drunk christmas which is a very real idea. I definitely yes. got that vibe. Totally. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it, Adam. Your second stroke of genius oh, of the day you. so far. <laughs> I'm, I'm on a roll here. <laughs> it's fucking Christmas morning. <laughs> That's the kind of Christmas it is. <laughs> I guess the original Halloween film isn't like all fucking trick-or-treats and jack-o'-lanterns either. No. Yeah, no. I mean, really, the most Halloween thing about that movie is the poster. Yeah, you know, like the pumpkin (laughs) in the opening credits, I guess. But like, how many trick or treaters actually come to the house? Well, well, here, yeah, that's the funny thing. You don't see it like when the babysitters are doing their thing. Not a lot of them actually come to the house. That you see them from afar, like they're looking out the window, and there are you know people in their um, costumes running back and forth in the street, and then in the distance is Michael Myers standing on the porch. But, you know, the kids, the little kids are in costumes as they're watching, like, The Thing and a few other things like that. Right. Halloween in that movie is very much the dressing of the scene. It's entirely atmosphere. It's not like Trick or Treat where the whole movie, that is Halloween the movie. Right. Well, that's why I say that's the perfect Halloween film. I will just, like, Halloween holiday film. What a great fucking movie that is. That movie's so good. I just rewatched it with my brother. It was playing in theaters, too, on October 31st here, and I I didn't see it, and I kind of wish I did. Oh, it's so good. I've always wanted to catch it in theaters because it's a direct-to-DVD movie. Right, it never got a theatrical run, which is great. might be the 
the best directed DVD movie of all time. It rules. Yeah. Dylan Baker, Brian Cox. Brian Cox is so good at that. Yeah. That's actually very well put. This like dark underbelly to the holidays, the family trauma that lurks underneath a pretty tame domestic masquerade. Yeah. The way that this movie resolves, we'll get to the ending. I think we'll have a big conversation about the ending in a bit. The way that the world is totally oblivious to the evil lurking underneath the surface. And that is kind of the feeling of the holidays. You meet up with your family twice a year at most. Maybe you're seeing these people only once a year mm-hmm. and you have no idea what's going on with them. No. You know what I mean? <laughs> and in fact, mm. the people that you love and trust, they actually might be the killer and it's like plausible to you. You know, That's that, true, that yeah. you, even though he's not, spoiler alert, like Boy. it's, you know, it's, it's a plausible reality. And, you know, just how confusing the holidays can sometimes be. Absolutely. The lighting of the Christmas lights, the way that the wallpaper, that bright red wallpaper kind of sticks out. Again, very shallow, very much in the tradition of the Argento movies and whatever. Uh, It matches perfectly that feeling of Christmas, of the glitz and glamour commercialism of Christmas Mm -hmm. juxtaposed with this evil, you know? By virtue of the fact that it is a Christmas movie and it takes advantage of the aesthetic within that setting, it's not as dark as you would think. Like Halloween is a very dark and takes advantage of lots of black and, yep. and uses that to scare you constantly. And whereas this is like everything's out in the open and that's kind of vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're never safe even when you're, you know, you're perfectly, this perfectly lit pretty room that's supposed to be nice, right? Yeah, exactly right. And then someone reaches out and grabs your hair, which is the fucking best jump scare. Oh my God, that jump scare so fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a Christmas party. Yeah, like nothing goes wrong at a Christmas party. Yeah. You know? yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Until it does, <laughs> which harkens back to like the idea. I like all bets are sort of off the table and everyone's drinking and no one cares. <laughs> yeah. Shit can go wrong. I've, yeah. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Uh. <laughs> Nico's old boy. It just brought him back. <laughs> That's bringing me back to a couple. <laughs> oh, three, oh, four, oh, five. Oh, no. No, those, were, those were wild Christmases. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and, and the fact too that literally there is a lot of alcohol being consumed, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it's brilliantly doled out for both comedic effect and dramatic effect. Mm-hmm. Obviously you have Mrs. Mack, who is the head of this sorority. I think sorority mother is the term that they use. And her whole thing is like, she just hides bottles of booze in the most creative location. As soon as I saw that popping up in the film, I knew this was a good movie for us. It was just <laughs> such a delight. Yes, yeah. it really is. In the book, oh my God, she cuts out a little B bottle. B for booze. <laughs> she was a great character. And she knows nobody in the sorority is going to take this book nope. off the shelf. <laughs> that was great. She's got one on a string in the bathroom. She's got one buried in, the in a shoot. Yeah, 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 right, in the toilet. Right. I mean, she pulled a booze. I want to be clear. She pulled a booze bottle out of the wet back of a toilet yep. and drank out of it. And it was she like didn't... a long ass string too you know like it's like really hidden she had to go fishing for that bottle yeah it wasn't like the godfather with the gun at the restaurant like it was really (laughs) fucking in there yep so you know that's to comedic effect and then you have margot kidder who i don't know if she was a bigger star than olivia hussey at the time but she's probably the biggest name in hindsight obviously after superman in this movie her character is great too because she is just a horrible human being and another massive drunk Mm -hmm. and the way that they sort of sprinkle in her backstory. I think the opening scene of this, 
we'll go scene by scene now, I guess. But the opening scene of this movie, where we just sort of cut to this party in media res, yeah. the phone calls are already happening, right? But they've already had a couple phone calls from this creepy guy. So, like, there's none of that, like, setup of, like, you have to see the first kill or whatever. It's like, already shit is going down. And she gets that phone call from her parents. And they don't really linger on it that much. They just, they feed you in the audio of her calling her mother a whore or whatever for going on this skiing trip with her new boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And then they cross cut to the other kids in the sorority. Oh yeah. It's one of the great slasher movie openings I've ever seen just because of how effective the character work is. Like all of these people are distinct human beings and fit a very specific role in this story and don't feel like just archetypes to be slashed in the throat. You know? I know. I mean, you could see how the other characters were tiptoeing around this girl. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. as to not upset her further. And then the one character who doesn't give a shit and isn't drinking and is actively like, no, I'm not going skiing with you. Everyone else like looks like, oh shit, look what she did. You would never have that kind of character work on a Friday the 13th movie. It's just not allowed, really. Right. But like, it's very clear like these girls, they live together. You get a sense that they spent a lot of time and really understood who they were just as people, but then also understood who they were as characters yep. and really sat with that so that that scene plays really quite naturally. And it reminds me of why like the thing works so well mm-hmm. for very similar reasons. Yeah. And listen, credit to the casting here because these actors are actually... Really good, good actors. I mean, Andrea Martin plays like this thankless role as Phil. Who's the guy who's playing, uh, what's his name, from uh, 2001? Yeah, uh, Keir Dulla. Keir, Keir Dullia or whatever, that's how you pronounce his name? Yeah, he's Dave from Dave. 2001, yeah, and yeah. he plays Peter in this. Peter, Peter, yeah. Like, he's really yeah. overqualified. Like, yeah. he's good enough for Kubrick. He's good enough for this movie. I was like, wait a second, wait a second. Is yeah. that who I think it is? Yeah, <laughs> and he's really good in the movie, yeah. Yeah, Olivia Hussey just did a really popular Romeo and Juliet adaptation a couple years earlier. Margot Kidder is Margot Kidder. Yep. Yeah, no, these are like legit actors. And I obviously, in hindsight, knowing who Margot Kidder is, knowing who Andrea Martin is, it's easier to differentiate. But I don't know. We watched that movie Happy Birthday to, to me mm. for Jalo July. And like, I couldn't keep apart who all these guys were. Like, they all looked the fucking same. They yeah. were all like similarly idiotic high school students. And, you know, the, just a little extra character building at the beginning of this movie makes all the difference. I know who everybody is. I know their motivations. Mm-hmm. And I can keep them apart when they're getting killed. And I feel bad for some of them when they're getting killed. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? Even the obnoxious ones. Like, Margot Kidder is kind of a shithead for mm-hmm. a large majority of the movie. And then you start to feel really bad for her towards. Oh, she's tragic. Yeah, very it's, a, tragic. it's a legitimately tragic story. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I mm-hmm. said that opening is so brilliant. Mm-hmm. I really don't think you should provoke somebody like that, Barb. Oh, listen, this guy's minor league in the city. I get two of those a day. Maybe. But you know, that town girl was raped a couple of weeks ago. Darling, you can't rape a townie. You really are too much, Barb. Oh, come on. This is a sorority house, not a convent. I'll see you later. I'm going to go pack. Come on, Claire. She didn't mean anything. No, really, Jess, it's okay. I have to finish packing anyway. Hasn't she had enough trouble fitting in here without you getting at her all the time? Come on, I know a professional version when I see one. Can I get a hand on here? Also, pretty good looking. You like that, Margot Kidder? Just going to say that. I'm also going to say this. Sue me. Olivia Hussey. Pretty good looking. Uh, 
Not controversial, Nika. Yeah. I just, I don't know. It was a hot take for the holidays. How about <laughs> Mrs. Mac? Mrs. Whoa, Mac? Oh, come on. <laughs> what do they call her? Like the vaudeville queen or something? <laughs> she comes in look, looking like Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> I was most upset when she died because she was hands down my favorite character. Oh, God. She was the best. She's a riot. She's, she's a real. <laughs> and then she turns into a Christmas ornament and that's that, you know, that's. It's too bad, but you know. That's a way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty amazing kill. I, I don't really understand the physics of it, but I don't think you could do it. I'm like, I don't think that would work, but I'll <laughs> I'm I'm I'll go along with your premise. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bob Clark directs this thing. The big homie Bob Clark, who has one of the most fascinating careers in the history of cinema. <laughs> this is funny. It's an incredible career. He starts out making these like B horror movies in the sixties and seventies. Children shouldn't play with dead things. Dead of night. Murder by decree. And, of course, Black Christmas, which is this incredibly influential slasher movie from 1974. After that, he sort of gravitates towards comedies. And in 1981, makes this, like, basically softcore pornographic, raunchy teen sex comedy, Porky's. Which is the biggest fucking movie of all time. Yeah. Like, it's huge. It's a box office sensation, it stays, you know, at the top of the box office charts for several months. And, uh, you know, he makes that. He makes Porky's, too. And not only does he redefine horror in the 70s, he redefines the teen comedy in the 80s. Then he decides, you know what? We're going to go back to the Christmas motif. You know, we're going to make another Christmas cult classic. But this time, no one's getting stabbed. Uh, instead, guys are getting shot in the eye with a BB gun, and it's a Christmas story in 1983. Mm -hmm. This, like, nostalgic, you know, 80s <laughs> Christmas, like, it inspires Home Alone. It inspires a Christmas Vacation. All of these, like, really saccharine 80s Christmas movies. This is the prototypical one. And then it's just a bunch of shitty comedies. Does he do Baby Geniuses? He does Two Baby Geniuses movies. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He does Baby Geniuses and Super Babies, colon, Baby Geniuses 2 in 2004. Then he gets killed by a drunk driver in 2007, and it's fucking over for him. He front-loaded the subtitle? That's right. He was killed by a drunk driver. Oh, for some reason, I thought he was still alive. <laughs> no, long gone. Him and his son. It's a very tragic story. Oh, no. That is horrible. Yeah, killed by a drunk driver in 2007. But yes, he pulled the Lost World, colon, Jurassic Park. <laughs> With Super Babies, colon, Baby Geniuses too. Yes, he pulled that. I can't believe that. That's incredible. <laughs> that is the ballsiest move. Like Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. That's a weird one. Right. Yeah. I guess when Jason lives on screen, Jason lives Friday the 13th, part six. That's how it comes on screen. So technically. It's not Friday the 13th, part six, colon, Jason lives? It doesn't appear on screen that way, no. Okay. And I know you love this, the distinction I, between how it appears on screen. I do. I don't go by IMDb. I go by what it says <laughs> it on says the screen. The that is the name. Like, you care about Irishman, film, Nico. The Irishman for me is called I Heard You Paint Houses. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. That is the name of that movie for me. It is not called The Irishman. It is, <laughs> I know you paint houses. I heard, I heard, I heard you, you paint, paint houses. houses. <laughs> what? Is that what appears on the that's screen? That's the title card. They don't use that. That's the name of the book that it's based on. They don't use The Irishman as the title card. Yeah. And, and you feel that way except... Except for Fast and Furious 7. No, it's it's Fast and Furious 6. The title card is just Furious 6. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. But Furious 7 Furious is... Furious 7 is the name of the movie on the title card, no, as it, well as on the poster. Nope. Not true. 
Don't we, fucking go here now. We've dude. talked it's, about this are before. You when you st- the it's open- six, six is the one. Yeah, there's six flops it, and then the other one flops it the other way. All right, <laughs> he's like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> Do you have a resource for this? Do you have a what's that title card? I'm website? gonna just watch the opening credits. Um, let's see, Jason Statham in the hospital bed. Uh, these opening credits rule. This is when he blows up the fucking hospital. That's right. Yeah. He's fucking. How did sick. you just pull up Fast and Furious Seven <laughs> so quickly? Yeah, the car recording. drives by the screen. Screen left to screen right. Holy shit! You're right. <laughs> All right, I need to explain this. This is the second week in a row we're going deep on titles for movies we're not talking about. So, Nick, Fast Five is Fast Five. Nice and clean. And it is Fast Five. So, they go Fast Five. So, okay, now we're making the sequel. Clearly, time for Furious Six. Furious Six, right. And Justin Lin apparently thought that when he was directing the movie because he put on screen the title card Furious Six. Right. At some point, someone at Universal changed their minds. And it's like, we need to call this Fast and Furious 6. Furious 6 sounds dumb. It's not like there's like 6. It sounds like Magnificent 7 or Hateful 8 or something, right? So they change it to Fast and Furious 6, but they don't change the title card on screen. And then 7, he's expecting it to be Fast and Furious 7. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So he builds that into the movie. But then somebody goes, you know what? I think James Wan is actually the director. But point being, yes, he had the same thought. (laughs) Yeah, and then they go, you know what? Furious 7 sounds pretty sick. Right. <laughs> Let's just call it that. How badly does this bother you? <laughs> it bothers me so fucking much. It's like, it drives me insane. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I understand, like, there are kind of seven heroes in that, so it makes a little more sense. But it, it's infuriating to me. Yeah. Well, this is an instance where I know you want to call it Furious 7. Yes. Absolutely. But it's not. Not according to the movie. At least with Fast and Furious, the titles were always crazy. Yeah, so true. I kind of just went, you know, by that point, you know, fucking Tokyo Drift had already happened. Mm, that's right, yeah. They already reused the Fast and the Furious without the thes. That's you know, true, yeah. Just the ampersand. Are they on 12? They're on 11. I hope they just call the next movie just 12. It's just called 12. <laughs> it's just no. No, isn't it like part three or something now? <laughs> 12 part three? <laughs> Vin Diesel says that Fast X is a three-part movie. Uh, right. So I think he's going to call it Fast X Part 1, Fast X Part 2, Fast X Part 3. Oh, that blows. I think. Or maybe they're going to go with Fast X and then Furious X. What if they call it 10 period lowercase a and then 10 period lowercase b and they just don't <laughs> put fast or furious and it's just literally. The Fast and the Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, no thus. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Fast ampersand furious. That's right. Fast 5. Fill in the blank for the next two. I don't know what you want to call it. <laughs> the Fate of the Furious. The Fate of the Furious. F9 colon the Fast Saga. The keystroke, of which course. Which they never use again, by the way. The Fast Saga. <laughs> the fast subtitle. <laughs> they never call it the Fast Saga except for that movie. And now F- Fast X. Yeah. Okay. The last three should have been called Fast, Furious, and Family. Salute me, familia. That's a great call. <laughs> the other thing that bothers me about it, by the way, is that... Tokyo Drift is considered one of the canonical Fast and Furious movies. Yeah. But Hobbs and Shaw is not. What? It's How? considered like a spinoff, so it doesn't go towards the running total. How is it not canonical, though? Well, it's canonical, but it's not like in... It, they don't count it. It just doesn't matter. No, it's not that it doesn't... It, like, it, canonically, the events affect what's going on in the Fast movies, 
But Tokyo Drift doesn't. Well, I guess Vin Diesel shows up at the end. I think that's really what is considered. It's just is Vin, Vin Diesel, Diesel is in it. Yeah, but Vin Diesel isn't in Too Fast, Too Furious. No, he's not. Yeah, Paul Walker is though. Does that one of the other has to appear? I don't know. But The Rock and Jason Statham are in the Fast movies. They don't count. I guess not. You know what no. I mean? <laughs> the franchise was a Paul Walker franchise until Paul Walker died, and then Vin Diesel took over the franchise. Like the last uh, movie has to be called Last Fast, doesn't it? Though Last Fast. I mean, you're just throwing out pearls. I know, right? He's just fucking <laughs> last fast this guy. <laughs> just fucking curveball right in the bottom of the zone, dude. I mean, just a nasty bit stuff today. Uh, yeah. So, Black Christmas. Anyway, Bob Clark. That's his up and down career. Fascinating filmography. Fascinating. He says I was like one of those guys that Tarantino would be the biggest fan of because he's not championed enough. See, I feel like Tarantino would have loved his earlier career. Definitely, yeah. A Christmas Story feels like one that Tarantino fucking hates. Probably. You know, it's that really saccharine, sentimental, you know, throw it on during the holidays movie. Yeah, likely. Do you like that movie? No, I don't give a fuck about it. I used to. And what happened? It wouldn't go away. They played it for 24 hours straight? It wouldn't go away. Yes. (laughs) As you got waterboarded. That's right. Yes. <laughs> and I wouldn't break. <laughs> I think the second that the leg lamp started becoming a gimmicky Christmas gift. Oh, fuck that. At yeah. like white elephant swaps. That's when the movie kind of fell out of favor for me. It's not that good. What if we pitched TBS on rather than showing a Christmas story for 24 hours on Christmas Day, show Black Christmas Ooh. for 24 hours? Not a bad idea. Maybe we pitch this maybe to like the sci-fi network or something. We gave it to a network that's looking for the adult audience. And it's like, we're just going to show these college girls getting stabbed and, <laughs> and suffocated. <laughs> yeah. Lovely Christmas conversations about abortion. Is what yeah. Yeah. Like you want to you just get this out of the way and talk about the abortion angle? Yeah. Well, I actually, let's go through the plot maybe and then we can, well, that'll come up. Well, yeah. So, I mean, these sorority girls are getting picked off essentially, right? We're at this holiday party. They are all kind of splitting up to go do their own thing, I guess, after the party. And one of them goes missing. They get this, this dirty phone call. It's this right. phone call that like sounds like it could just be like a frat guy playing a prank on them or something. Yeah. But it's like really nasty language. Like I was surprised. Oh, yeah. like I'm not even going to repeat some of the quotes. Maybe I'll add it in and post, but yeesh, it's tough. Yeah. The stuff he is saying is just absolutely foul. It's the worst kind of thing you could ever hear. Yeah. And if for a movie that doesn't have a ton of blood in it, no. it's actually surprisingly unbloody. A lot of it is left to the imagination. It is very vulgar. Yes. Very, very like sexually explicit and. Ugh. <laughs> go find a wall socket and stick your tongue in it. That'll give you a charge. I'll stick my tongue up your pretty pussy. You fucking creep. I'm going to kill you. 
And on that phone, apparently, Bob Clark did some of the voiceover. Really? Yes. Oh, which wow. I think is hilarious. Oh, no. And they were doing some really unconventional stuff, like standing on their hands while in the VO booth or whatever, like trying to get like a throaty, raspy quality. Ew. You know, they were backing away from the microphone, so it sounded like they were screaming. in the Like a lot of like really weird stuff. <laughs> they were doing some unconventional stuff. They were killing each other. They were just strangling one yeah. another. <laughs> some people got stabbed. <laughs> It's literally about stabbing. <laughs> the film is literally about stabbing. Would it surprise you to know that Gene Siskel did not like this movie? <laughs> Gene Siskel, we got to go through his reviews for uh, horror films because it is hilarious. Gene Siskel gave it one and a half out of four stars. Jesus. Called it a routine shocker that is, quote, notable only for <laughs> indicating the kind of junk roles that talented actresses are forced to play in the movies. Oh, how lovely. That's fine. If you don't like that genre, I can understand why you wouldn't like the film. Uh, this film's a masterpiece. <laughs> hey, <laughs> fuck off. It's great. I was I was watching it last night with Abby. Oh. Yeah, which was fun. Yeah, yeah. She's like, that was scary, which is good. She was actually genuinely scared by it. No, but it's scary. And like you said, Nico, not a lot of blood. Mm -mm. No, no. It's all tone. Can I add one more point, too? And I think this was something that Bob Clark intentionally set out to do. Not... Any nudity? No. I think there's like one ass crack shown by like some guy at the police station. Well, there's that. And then you got the poster that she's comically covering up, but that's it. Right. But these actresses are not just brought on to take their tops off. You know, they're actually playing real characters. And there's a lot. It's almost all women. And that's the, I was as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, boy, let's there. When are they going to get naked? I mean, we've seen this movie a trillion yep. times. Yep. Yep. Of yep. Like, you know, these hot girls getting murdered out of college. Yep. None of that. It's similar to Scream in the way that, like, these right, yeah. actresses are smart. I was going to say they're smart. I mean, at the end of the movie, she kind of does a stupid fucking thing, Olivia Hussey, by going upstairs. But you can understand it. You can understand the decision. You may not agree with it. It makes sense for that character specifically, the one that is that protective and concerned about her friends all the time. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it was the smart decision, but I understand it. And I think that's really the distinction. Even if it's not smart, do you understand it from a character point of view? Right, because these are yeah. real relationships. Yes, yeah. You know, these people actually care for each other, even though they sometimes hate each other. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's not that thing where it's like, oh, they're talking shit behind the yeah. final <laughs> girl's back, and then they get stabbed, you know. It, it's a movie where the killer has really no sense of morality. It's not like he's, like, killing the virgin types or killing the non-virginal types or you know there's no like race trope of like the black person dies first there's none of that like really cheap stuff you see in the later slasher movies and it's just amazing to me that it was here in the dna of the early one it's yeah. like all of the like stupid hokey shit of like oh take your tops off before you get stabbed like there's none of that in this movie and i just like respected it so much for that it's a real fucking movie there's real drama. Mm -hmm. That was the shock. Like, I was really impressed by the character stuff, the dramatic back and forth with, with what these characters were dealing with when, when they weren't concerned about getting stabbed. It was, like, just a good, solid thriller. Mm -hmm. Claire is the first victim we see on screen, although not the first victim in the film. No. Technically, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So just for full disclosure, I actually had to read a little bit about this film because the ending, which we haven't talked about yet, is so bizarre. I needed someone to... Hold my hand through that a little bit. No, it ends like fucking Zodiac. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, ah, maybe we caught him. Maybe, maybe we didn't. Maybe we didn't. I don't know. Yeah, Bye. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> so long. Dude, the phone call. I'm like, my mouth. I was like, oh my God, this movie's so good. Yeah. I got to say the first 30 minutes of this movie is almost 
more funny than it is scary. And I mean that in a very positive way. When Claire gets killed, even she goes to her closet. She's packing up her stuff. And it's just so funny to watch her grab her clothes off the clothes hook. And then just like in the closet, you just see like a man (laughs) inside of this really thin garment. You find it funny. Good for you. Because I was... (laughs) terrified yes it's, it's scary. scary i was so scared i'm like that is one of the scariest images i've ever seen no it's that thing in hereditary where you see the mom in the corner of the room but it's different because it's well lit it's even yes. more well lit than that and you're technically looking right at him yes. but you don't quite see him it's like i love that sensation where it's like i'm almost sure that's there but i don't quite know right. and you with the character have to go look i love it yes i love and, it and you see it from his point of view too so yep. you know that he's there, he's there. and <laughs> it's like you shouldn't be showing me this it's great you know it, and that's the feeling that the girl is having of like wait I, it can't be it can't be but oh my god it is oh my god it is well it comes down to the decision of uh what is more effective and what is more important the jump scare or mm-hmm. the tension mm-hmm. and it's the tension mm-hmm. you know it's more about building that moment than it is about because you can tell me that the killer's right there and you can still jump scare me anyways <laughs> but then you forget the, the fact that you were scared you know the yeah. jump the jump scare kind of cuts it out maybe a little too quickly you remember that scene because of the build-up to her walking to right the door and i mean the the other good thing about this movie too is that i don't think there's any false jump scares every time there is a jump scare it's usually one where it's the killer coming after the girl or right, right, right. it's not like the sure. cat is jumping out of the closet it's not a cat it's not right. a fucking ball hitting the window i love it follows as much as the next guy but that ball hitting the window and that once it's like yeah okay right. that, that kind of stuff no that is the brilliance of what this movie did and what carpenter did with halloween as well yep. Showing it from the killer's point of view, it can sometimes be hokey, and it is obviously hokey in the Friday the 13th movies. Sure. But it takes out the threat of the jump scare, and it adds this sense of dread where you're rooting for the woman to get out alive. Mm -hmm. And you know that there's this inevitable thing coming because you're complicit with the killer, right? You're sitting there, and you're, like, there with his crimes. Mm -hmm. It's a much different level of evil if done correctly. Yeah. And when he kills Claire, he wraps her up in plastic and stuffs her in the attic, sitting on a chair, looking out the window. Like, she is ever-present, ever-watching over the events of the rest of this film. Oh, that's a great decision. And They never find her, Nick. That, oh, that and was they never so... find her. Think Even about in the, that. The last shot of the film is her dead body looking out the window and then cut to outside of the house, and it's just, you can't even see her. They're not even sure. Yeah, right. Literally, yeah, you see her looking out the window, but then they cut to the exterior, and you still can't see her. You still can't find her. It looks like an ordinary house. Yeah, there's a cop in the front, right? Yeah. And he's like, no it's idea. right above him. He's got no idea that she's there. I was not prepared for how tragic this movie was going to feel. Yeah. Just that image of her, like, again, she's this thing in the attic. There's yeah. no humanity left. This bit left. of trauma just, just hiding, hiding in the, there. right. Yeah. Just stuffed in the attic. It's like, oh my God, it's, right. it's so terrible. I mean, that's fucking Christmas though, right? You I just, guess so, you just yeah. stuff it all stuff in the it, attic. And it's, there it stays. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, it's just this constant reminder of just all of this pain in your life. Exactly. You know, that we just take out <laughs> once a year. Yep, yep, yep. I, yep. I don't even know if that was intentional, but it's an incredible like piece of image making. I, I get the impression it was. I think there's a reason that, that that Christmas time was chosen for this film. Yeah. And it's not apparent in the surface level text. So I think it's all in the subtext. What a task. Like, yeah. I'm not going to use Christmas to make you happy. I'm going to use it to traumatize yeah. you. And like only fucking Kubrick pulls that off. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like the, that kind <laughs> of filmmaker. I love it. It's Kubrick's getting his medal and then right beside him. Hey, Kubrick, it's me, Bob Clark. <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing here? (laughs) Yeah, and listen, to your point about them never finding the body, 
they're kind of unsure that there's a serial killer loose. You know, they find the yeah. one child, right? It's like a teenager that's found. Like in the, the ice or something? In the ice. We never see yeah. the body. We don't even see that body. That's the only body that they have confirmation of until the end of the movie when they find the two girls in the bedroom. We're not sure that it's linked to what's going on at the sorority or that it's linked to these phone calls. They just have this like hunch that it might be related to it. So most of this movie, there's this dramatic irony, which is also kind of hilarious too. this idea that she's just chilling in the attic as all of this shit is going down. They're looking for her. She's right upstairs. It's an incredibly bleak idea. Right. I'm just like, we're never going to be able to catch this guy. We're never going to be able to see it. You know, we're too short sighted. We're never just going to go fucking up the ladder. It's yeah, right no, there. It's right there. You know? Exactly. The truth is right in your Very face. Fun. So yeah, so Claire is missing and the rest of the events of the movie kind of break out with them trying to find Claire. Claire's father arrives, can't find his daughter. They go to the police. They're searching for her. At the same time, we discover a 13-year-old has been killed in the park. Well, a 13-year-old is missing. There are search parties looking for both kids, essentially, right? And they find the child, the 13-year-old, dead in the park. One thing I read that was kind of notable was the killer... Prank calls these girls after every kill. Yes. Right. And so the first prank calls at the beginning of the film are presumably after this 13-year-old was killed. Right. Yes. So this is actually based on an urban legend called The Babysitter yeah. and The Man Upstairs. This same legend was eventually adapted into When a Stranger Calls, which is what we all probably know as the call was coming from inside the house. Right. Not the yeah. 2006. I mean, the 2006 movies, what we know it from. But the original movie, I think, like came out in 1979. So they, there were two adaptations of this urban legend. Urban legends don't really exist anymore today in the same way that they did in the 70s. Right. Yeah. 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 I remember being a kid in the 90s and urban legends were a little bit more of a thing. They're kind of dead now and it's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. I, we need to scare our children more. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I, I agree. I mean, there are sort of like some Internet meme video things that we Slender don't know Man, the right? origins yeah, right. of. Yeah, the Slender Man. Well, like, I think Slender Man we do know the origins of, but there are some that we still don't. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of our closest modern equivalent. Because the thing about urban legends is that you can't trace the source. Right. Yeah. There's no author. Yeah. If it wasn't, uh, like, Bloody Mary was another one, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, don't say Bloody Mary into the mirror. I, that was a big one when we were kids. Yep. And I fucking listened. I didn't do that shit. No way. I remember doing it in elementary school oh, in the bathroom. <laughs> Explains a lot, I guess. <laughs> I had very specific circumstances. You had to do it at midnight. Mm -hmm. You had to say Bloody Mary, and then you had to spin around, do it again, do it again. Yeah, no, like Beetlejuice. Well, they always added those extra layers on it because if anybody actually did it, it obviously didn't work. So there was always like you'd hear these different versions of it where it's like, oh, you just have to say, it. oh, you have to close your eyes. Oh, you have to spin around. Oh, it has to be at midnight. Take this hallucinogen and then spin around a couple times and you'll probably see Bloody Mary. <laughs> yeah, you're probably, yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So the, but in this urban legend, the babysitter is downstairs. Killer kills one of the kids upstairs, calls the babysitter after the murder, taunts her or whatever. Eventually, she contacts the police. The police trace the call. The call's coming from inside the house. And that's basically the this movie, although it's in a college context. Uh, apparently, these were also based on real-life murders in Montreal. This is a Canadian movie, by the way. And Bob Clark, although he was an American director, made most of his movies in Canada. And there was a incident with a 14-year-old boy 
that murdered, I guess, his mother and I think almost murdered some other members of his family around Christmas time. And so that's one of the real-life inspirations. It's kind of hard to track down exactly which one is the original Black Christmas murder. I was thinking around this time, too. It does evoke a lot of, like, what Bundy was doing. Oh, I have a good fun fact for you on that. Oh, really? Oh, boy. So this movie comes out in 74. It is not really a hit. It's released over here, by the way, as... Silent Night, Evil Night. Deadly Night or Evil Night? No, yeah. so yeah, that's yeah. there's like 20 movies with that same structure. There's Silent <sighs> yeah, Night, Bloody yeah. Night. There's Silent Night, Deadly Night. Recently, there's been Silent Night, Violent Night. You know, <laughs> Or I think it was just called Violent Night. Right, right? but then there, John Woo has Silent Night with Kinnaman coming out in a couple oh, that's weeks. That's right, yeah. Oh, sh- <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> okay. I know the Kinnaman movie. <laughs> so there's all, you know. Uh, so I think here it was Silent Night, Evil Night, and then it went back to Black Christmas. But it was supposed to air under a different title on NBC Movie of the Week. And obviously in the 70s, Movie of the Week was a lot bigger deal than now. I mean, you know, now they show fucking Home Alone 30 times during the holidays. Yeah. But for this movie to get its Saturday night premiere, it's a big deal, right? Stranger in the House was what the movie was going to be released as. And two weeks prior to the movie premiering, this big American premiere, there were two murders at Florida State University. Yep. Two of the sisters were murdered asleep in their beds where they were bludgeoned to death. Yep. The governor of Florida calls NBC. It's like, hey, can we at least push this premiere? Can we not air it? NBC obliges. They end up putting another movie on. Come to find out several months later, who did the killings? Ted Bundy. So, wow. Merry Christmas, everybody. It's fucking Christmas morning. I was watching. I'm like, that, that has to be around the time when, when he was doing that. Yep. Holy shit. So you thought it was maybe inspired the other way? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Where were we? We were looking for Claire. Uh, We also meet Peter. He is a aspiring concert pianist. Right. And his girlfriend, what was her name? Uh, Jess is the name of the character. Olivia Hussey's character. Yes. Um, Did I mention quite good looking? You think so? (laughs) You did, I think, yeah. She wears a bathrobe in one scene in this movie. And it just fucking destroyed me. <laughs> just fucking like, I mean, like, crazy. Like, I would fucking get impaled with a hook in an attic to <laughs> spend some time with Olivia Hussey. No, no question. She could impale me with a fucking fireplace poker as much as she wants. We come to discover that she is less than happy in her relationship with Peter. She is currently pregnant and wants an abortion. Mm. 74, remember, 1974. A year after Roe v. Wade. Wow. Peter wants the baby. He wants to keep the baby. He wants to marry her. Is willing to potentially give up his dreams of being a concert pianist, especially after a not-so-great tryout session, probably due to his mind not being in a good place due to the recent news that she wants an abortion. All of this, right? And their relationship is fraught with argument, drama. I'd say borderline abuse, wouldn't you? Yes, psychological abuse, for sure, yeah. Yeah, he is warning her, if you harm my baby, uh, you will regret it. Things like that. You selfish bitch. You're talking about killing our baby as though you were having a wood removed. Now can you see why I didn't want to tell you? What the hell are you trying to do to me? What are you doing to yourself? Jess, let's get one thing straight. You are not going to abort that baby. Peter, you're not going to tell me what I can and cannot do. Jess, if you try getting an abortion... I think you better leave. If you try getting an I abortion... I said get out. 
You're going to be very sorry. And this movie is drumming up, building up Peter as uh, a villain, if not the villain. The big thing for me is the silhouette is exactly the same. So the movie is definitely trying to trick you because you get a lot of silhouettes of the Billy killer and it looks exactly like Peter, exactly the same. So you're like, hmm, maybe it is. Even towards the end, you're like, I don't know, maybe it is. And they mix in his voice as well. Okay, so I, that's, I thought that's they also, did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Before he tells her he wants to marry her and give up his dreams, he does take a microphone stand and destroy his piano. Or a piano. I don't even know if it's his, to be honest with you. That was a precious Steinway. <laughs> That's an email. <laughs> wow. We're quoting the Pink Panther movies. <laughs> the most quoted movie line of all time between my father and I. Yes. I don't doubt that. Number one of all time. Not anymore. The amount of times my dad and I say not anymore. In a bad <laughs> French accent. <laughs> oh, he had a lovely marriage. <laughs> he was so happy. <laughs> His daughter just got sober. <laughs> Anything in life. <laughs> See, if you just put uh, Clouseau in this movie, it's fine. Yeah. Everyone's okay. The Jets <laughs> offense was really rolling. <laughs> <laughs> So Peter is positioned as Captain Obvious. He's the fucking killer. He's just the yeah. killer. When you first meet him, first of all, he's Dave from 2001. So he looks a little creepy. And the way that all like Kubrick leads between Malcolm McDowell and him, like they're, they're all kind of creepy looking. Yeah. He's wearing black gloves when you first meet him. Yep. So that indicated to me, okay, although there are a number of black gloves in this movie, his stuck out is pretty obvious to me. There is no other credible male suspect, no. really, in the movie. So for a while there, you're like, okay, is this just going to be a psycho situation where, you know, psycho is not really a mystery. Although there is a twist at the end of that movie, there are no other credible suspects. So the twist is that it's kind of a split personality thing. Mm -hmm. It's not a whodunit, it's a how done it, right? He's sort of abusive towards Jess. The brilliance of this movie is that his abuse in their relationship is not that much different from what the killer is doing, and it's drawing this very brilliant parallel there. He's in the house suspiciously when one of the murders goes down. He sneaks up on her. The basement scene, of course, is, you know, he smashes through the window to get to her, and the shot of him in the frosty glass. He's, Back oh, to possession, my. by the way. Yeah, it is. Like, yeah, no, it is. It's amazing. You know, all of this stuff, it is definitely leading you down this path. It's got to be Peter. There's no way it's not Peter. Slowly, everyone else is kind of taken out. Uh, Mrs. Mack, the beloved, uh, what is it, sorority mother, is on her way out for Christmas. Here's her kitty up in the attic and goes to investigate and is uh, greeted by a hook on a rope and strung up like some Christmas lights. I mean, <laughs> as you do, they get the police involved with these prank phone calls in particular. They tap the phones and this is where we get to our moment of, oh, the killer's in the house. He says the calls are coming from number six, Belmont Street. For Christ's sakes, Nash, you got it wrong. That's where the calls are going into. That's where they're coming from too, sir. I love the incompetent cop who just can't get anything right. Nash. Nash, yeah. It's not like any of the things that he does. In my mind, I don't see anything specifically wrong. Like, I don't actually think he's an idiot. Well, he didn't know that fellatio was not an actual area code. Could you give me the number at the sorority house? 
please. Yeah, sure. It's a uh, fellatio two o eight eight o. Fellatio. It's a it's a new exchange. F E. It's a new one on me. How do you spell it? Capital F E, little L, L A T I O. Thanks. Don't mention it. Right, he didn't know what the word fellatio meant exactly. So like, this guy is clearly sheltered. Yeah, he's like a Barney a Fife kind of yeah, Andy Griffith right. show cop. Yeah, but he's not like a bumbling idiot. Right. So the main detective tells him, Nash, you need to call Jess. You need to tell her very calmly to leave the house because the killer's in the house. He calls her. He's not. And he says, listen, Jess, I just need you to listen to me and not ask any questions. <laughs> you just need to leave the house. And she kind of keeps going. And eventually he just kind of panics. He's like, the killer's in the house, yeah. Jess. The killer's <laughs> in the house. Rah, don't panic. And she fucking panics. <laughs> yes, right. of course. As you do. Goes upstairs to check on her girlfriends, and they're both dead in the bed. But oh man, this, this behind part. the door, in the crack of the door, it's great. You see an eyeball that I think is like the color of a fire hydrant. Yeah, it's, it's red. so red. It's like demonic. Yeah. It's crazy. Yep. Should have been kind of a dead giveaway that like your boyfriend has blue eyes and this guy has red eyes, even though I've never like even fucking seen a red eye. Well, also, she already confirmed that her boyfriend snuck up on her during one of the prank calls. Right. So she's like, it can't be him. Right. But even still, his behavior is scary and questionable and she's in fight or flight mode. And the audience is thinking the same thing. Yeah, sure. And you have that brain of like, oh, that's obviously a red herring. The fact that he was there during yeah, the phone call is a red herring, and you know, so that's what I kept saying. I'm like, it's clearly not. He's too too much of the obvious red herring. We went over this a lot when we were doing Jalo July, like just right. pointing out, like literally throwing away the most obvious red herrings. But I think what I was prepared for was like a happy birthday to me, insane Same. ending, where it's like this doesn't even make any fucking sense. <clears throat> Instead, what they do is like the existential dread, like, well, I don't know, not really an ending ending, you know, which is incredible. Also, again, very, very hard to do. It can backfire dramatically where you're just like, oh, that's it. Like, yeah, I get it. It's like, oh, evil's everywhere. But that was lame. Let's actually tell people what the ending is. So because <laughs> now we're there. <laughs> so she's alone in the house with the killer and Peter or just Peter. Right. Depending on how you look at this. Right. Because she never actually sees the killer behind the door. She kind of slams on him and like, and also there's another shot too, where you just get the shot of his eye as he's stabbing the girl in the bed. Mm. All we ever see is his hands and his eye. Right. Like, and that's literally it. And you hear his voice and he's, his name is Billy and he's like talking to this girl, Agnes, who I guess we presume is his sister or something. Agnes, it's me, Billy. We, we assume there's some kind of split personality yeah. thing where he was traumatized as a kid and something about the holidays must conjure this up in him. Well, there's that psycho thing, too, where the voice sometimes changes to a woman, seemingly, or an old, right. old, like, witchy woman. And I will say, like, you could argue it's just great voice acting or whatever, but, like, I mean, they're distinct voices. And I know they used multiple people's voices to actually make these. Right. It's horrifying. Yeah, and in the 
Attic, too, you see him do these, like, meltdowns. That's the other thing. Yeah. It's not just, like, this brooding Michael Myers silent evil. It's this unhinged, like, this guy needs to be put down kind of evil. And I believe the killer also says, like, remove your wart or whatever, which is like a reference to getting an abortion. Right. Mm -hmm. But Peter corners her in the basement. She stabs him with a fire poker. Because he's like, hey, Jess, what's the matter? You seem all shook up. Yeah, and this, like, snakily coming after her. And she is convinced that he's the killer. Yeah, right. Yeah. Whether or not he's the killer, she's in danger. And she is not fucking letting anybody near her, right? She made the right decision. I, I would actually, it's like, I, I think almost anybody would have done what she did. Yeah. I mean, she's she, fight or flight mode, dude. I mean, yeah. yeah. So the police get there. I believe they discover the girl's bodies upstairs, but not in the attic. I guess they kind of just, okay, well, that's a wrap. Case closed, right? They put her in bed, which again, like, you don't leave this girl unattended for the night. I'm sorry. You don't just leave her. Ah, we'll come back tomorrow to talk about all your murdered friends. You don't leave her unattended, and also you don't leave her in that house where all of no, her No, you bring her to a hospital, hospital to get her checked out, yes. right? I mean, they did have a cop at the front stoop, but still. Yeah, a lot of fucking good that did the first time they had a cop oh, watching yeah. the house. Good point. <laughs> Who was dead in his cop car. <laughs> they leave her unattended. Now, here's where I think the movie is going. Because there is this boyfriend character of Claire. I noticed that guy. I'm whose like, name I'm forgetting, but he has... Kind of curlyish hair. The same kind of shape. Same kind of shape. And they have him sitting there. And for a second, it looks like he's going to be left yep. in the room alone as the cops and the doctors file out. Do you think the movie is thinks you know that? So I researched this. The studios pushed for this ending. The studios wanted the guy to be left alone with her in the room and him saying to himself, Agnes, don't tell him what we did. Agnes, don't tell them what we did. And it was gonna be, he was gonna kill Jess at the end. I was looking, I was like, that guy, that that's the fucking killer. That's, oh, that's it, right? So yeah, funny. he's sitting there too, right? Oh wow. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> I see it now. Clever. And I'm thinking, good, good job. Like this is credible. It's not like as crazy as happy birthday to me, right? But it's it's credible. It does the job. And it's one of those suspects that's like in plain sight and he's in enough of the movie, but you don't really suspect him from up. That's what it usually is, though. Like again, roping back to Jala Chai, it's usually someone that is there, but just never makes a fuss right and that's it's like oh it's that guy but there's also this plot hole too where he's at the police station i think as one of the killings is going down so you can't really use him Uh, yeah i don't know if they wanted to push for like a second killer and that's who agnes is or right yeah if it was like a scream situation right where there were two of right right so warner brothers really wanted that uh clark did not want to change it he wanted to keep the ending ambiguous right call and so he leaves, everybody leaves, and instead we just do the slow pan as the music starts playing. It's the most terrifying fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. The music's really good, too. Well, Those they, weird strings that they're I using. mean, speaking of the piano playing, Peter's piano playing, he smashes the piano. Mm-hmm. The score is a similar thing in this movie where they're, like, attaching fucking hooks and rubber bands to piano strings. And, like, they're just pounding on the keys, and it's, like, this really mm-hmm. abstract piano thing. And yeah, so we and we pan up, and then we kind of see the shadow of the killer, but we never get a glimpse of anybody. And we pan up to the attic, and is Mrs. Max still hanging They're there? They're both still hanging. She's yeah. still strung up. And then Claire is still in the and bag. Claire's still in the bag, still in the attic, never fucking found. 
And it's like, okay, we're waiting for the killer to appear in the window. Doesn't come, doesn't come. We just pan out and the movie's over. So Nick, you read into this a little bit. There is this theory that there's perhaps a supernatural, that the evil spirit of Peter lives on after he's already been killed and done all his crimes, right? There's, yeah, I think there's several readings of it. There's also one that it's just there's another guy named Billy. Which is what I think, by the way. Yeah, I think so. I think Which is what I even read. I don't know how they came up with all this. I don't know if it's based on extra lore or if it's based on the remakes. or. But they're saying, like, oh, maybe Billy grew up in that house mm-hmm. at, with his sister Agnes. And they go into this, by the way, in the remake. 2006, they made a remake. I think the remake was based on the speculation, not totally. the other way around. Right, right, right. Well, the remake is one of those movies that was really fought over by the studio and the director actually quit directing because he had such a bad time making it because of the situation. Mm-hmm. And apparently the remake is actually pretty good. Really? I was immediately under the impression the remake must have sucked because they went into excruciating detail about Billy. You're talking about the 19 one or the 06 one? 06 one. Yeah. Not okay. the, not the, no, not the 19 one. No, no, no. But apparently the 2006 one is a movie that gets a bad rep. Really quick. Is it a bad rap or a bad rep? Reputation. Yeah, but, it, but also like <laughs> I've heard people just say, oh, it gets a bad rap. What's correct? Like, uh, well, bad rap is like a rap sheet, right? Like, right. Uh, like a, a convict has. Oh, so can you say both? I've always said bad rep, like reputation. I've always said bad rap. Okay. Let's see. I guess they both make sense. I but... guess they both are acceptable according to Google. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, see, I always thought it was spelt with a W, though, so I'm doubly wrong because I was just reading, bad rap is considered wrong and is best saved for referring to tortillas. <laughs> 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 Fucking Miriam Webster coming for my jugular. No, a rap sheet is like a criminal record. Yes. Yeah. Is rap sheet short for anything? Oh, record of arrests and prosecutions. Okay. 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 There you go. Oh. A rap sheet. There we, all right. It's an acronym. I didn't know that. Who knew? I did not know that. So, okay. Well, uh, so either acceptable here and why is this a thing? Okay. Okay. That's our, that's our style guide. <laughs> it's very inclusive over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, I think just taking it as there's just another guy named Billy and then you just get that phone call that I can't imagine the ending being more effective than that is yeah. the thing. Right. That's enough. Like I'm perfectly willing to accept that Billy was still in the house and he killed her. You never met him? Yeah. And we're never going to catch him. And I think, you know, they did remakes, and I don't think that the remakes ever messed with the reputation of the movies too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, they go into the backstory a lot more. But I think it is really fortunate for this movie's reputation that there was not a sequel. Yeah. You know? That Michael did not go to the hospital after Laurie Strode went there. You know? That Billy was not shown killing Olivia Hussey in the opening scene of Black Christmas 2, even blacker. You know? Like, <laughs> or that Jason is not still alive, yeah. You know, like, this movie only works because we don't know what happens. That's why the ending is so brilliant. We don't know who Billy is, and we don't know if he's ever going to be caught, and we don't know who's going to kill next. You know, and the second that you add more lore to it, it just ruins the whole fucking thing. It's like if Zodiac had a sequel. Imagine if Fincher <laughs> came back and was like, actually, some new evidence has resurfaced, yeah, and sure. we're going to talk about the Zodiac case post-1995. It's like, no, come on, <laughs> yeah, no fucking way. Yeah. Like, you need to give it that existential dread. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's really great. I, the movie didn't do that well, but for its reputation, it's great that this didn't become a mega franchise, that it wasn't this big box office sensation. It's so rare, though, especially at the, even at this time, because even Texas Chainsaw Massacre got a fucking sequel. It did, yeah. Yeah. 
a bu- couple sequels. Amityville Horror is on oh like my God. three, four, five movies at this point. At this point, we're getting into Exorcist territory as yeah, well. Yeah, there's Exorcist sequels. Uh, Anthony Perkins comes back for Psycho sequels around this time. Psycho 2 is good. It's kind of crazy for me, especially with this mysterious killer, Billy and Agnes, or just Billy or whatever split person. I don't know what the fuck's going on there. But it's amazing that there have been remakes, but no sequels. I am not usually one of those guys that's like, oh, it was ruined by the fucking sequels. But this would have been a franchise had they stuck with this canonical. If Olivia Hussey came back. Oh, yeah. And, you know, oh, if it was man. like that kind of not like a legacy sequel kind of thing, but like a legitimate like we're bringing back the same characters that would have severely damaged the reputation of this first one. There is, pl- I mean, plenty, plenty, plenty of potential for them to have made a bunch of sequels. I oh, mean, yeah. it wouldn't have been that hard, but it's amazing that they didn't, I think is what we're saying. Right, totally. But, but I, I'll be honest, I'm okay with, you know, every 20, 30 years we get a Black Christmas remake and see how one person chooses to tell that story, like A Star is Born. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm okay not with that. super precious about the remake thing. I mean, like, Same. you know, we do fucking King Lear on Broadway every 20 years, too. It's like you know, we're always bringing back these classic stories. It's just these are genre stories that are more commercially viable than Shakespeare. But, yeah, it doesn't mean that you can't just, yeah, it's, they're folktales, right? You yeah, can, exactly. They're modern-day folktales. I'm okay with that. Yeah, right. I just think a sequel specifically It'd be weird, yeah. in continuity with this one would have been a major problem. Yes, yes, I agree. You know? I agree. Even Halloween isn't hurt that much by Halloween. Two. I'm not a big fan of Halloween 2, but it's not hurting really at all aside from the brother sister thing. That's about it. Right. But, you know, that ends with an ambiguous thing of like Michael is still out there. We might never catch him. And even knowing where he ends up later, I, I don't think it's that big a deal. Like, no, I, it's you not. know, it, it doesn't take away the power of that first movie's ending. No, not at all. Not yeah. at all. I mean, if anything, it it just, you know, reaffirms that. Yeah, he is still out there and shows you what he's doing. But that's because we know his name. We We actually see his face in that first movie. Like, there is a little bit of closure, whereas this one works because there is no closure. We see his eyeball, and that's it. That's all you fucking get. There is a meanness to this movie that that really caught me off guard, especially for a Christmas movie. I didn't expect that. So Mm -hmm. I know they would never do this. I wouldn't mind there being three or four of this movie. And they never once, not a single time, show the killer. And they never expand upon the backstory at all. And they just leave it. That I mean, that's kind of sick. Yeah, they would never fucking do that. They no, would never no, fucking no. do that. No. Never. <laughs> He'd have brothers and sisters and his mom is getting in on it. And yeah, I mean, as all horror sequels end up, it would be painful. We always try to, like, add more answers. Why don't we just keep adding questions, man? That's it. Just <laughs> make me more confused every time. Yeah, I think, like... You know, some franchises sequel like John Wick, for example, like they're they're constantly finding new depths to that universe, right? That doesn't need to be a big question mark though. Right. Whereas like, yeah, this one it's about feeling, it's about mood. And um I was profoundly disturbed by this ending. Great. Profoundly. Ending. It's great. I just this is a great movie. It kind of surprised me the way that the first time I watched uh, My Bloody Valentine surprised me. Where I kind of thought it was going to be similarly gimmicky and hacky. And then I watched it. I'm like, that was really good. How did they make it that good? Why is it? That's the other thing. Why is it this good? It has no right being this good. But geez, good for you, movie. I'm excited for this to be our Christmas tradition, guys. Because we're going to revisit the 2006 remake next year. Are we? 
We might. Yeah. Okay. And then the 2019 yeah. one. Oh, and then boy. the 2019 one the year after that. Yeah. Every Christmas is a black Christmas from here on out. Here's the problem with, I think. She the, makes it sound like a fucking Tyler Perry movie, but it's, <laughs> that's not what I mean. I, I want to say the 2006 one has that issue of like, which cut do you watch? Oh, I love those issues. <laughs> yeah. Nick's favorite subject, yeah, director's wh- cut. Which cut shall I throw on? So. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think we can definitely do that next year. A um, couple little fun facts I just wanted to throw at you. Steve Martin, this is one of his favorite movies of all time. Wow. When he met <laughs> Olivia Hussey at a screening, he said that he had watched it, I believe, 27 times. And this was like a year after it came out. Steve Martin loved it. And the film setting of Bedford, which is the town here, is an intentional homage to another Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life, set at Bedford Falls. Any problems with the voice not traveling through the house as he's screaming on the other side of the phone? Fiberglass insulation stops it. All right, we're good with that? Yes. Okay. Nick, you're happy with that? You're satisfied with that explanation? Well, again, I mean, I think it's just evidence to point to the supernatural side of things not being right. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Maybe. He's screaming. He's like, he's it, fucking it's, screaming. It's an air side. horn on yeah, the other yeah. line. <laughs> My look, I mean, it's not it's not all buttoned up. I don't think this movie is meant to be buttoned up in that sort of way. So I'm not I'm not going to throw a fit about it. I'm with you, too. I go with it. I'm just yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot of evidence for all arguments like you can make an effective argument for any side. What a crazy thing to say about a slasher movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're making a crazy thing to say where it's like really open for interpretation. It's like fucking Eraserhead. True. No, but it seriously (laughs) is. is. It's not the level of Eraserhead, but you're right in that. Like, it's rare that you can actually, you know, constructively think about a slasher film in this way that doesn't ruin the slasher movie. Usually that's the problem. You start thinking about it and you're like, oh, none of this works. One more thing, because I just saw this on the poster. The poster's great, by the way. It's, Ugh, yeah. it's Claire sitting on the rocking chair with the baby and a candle with a plastic bag on her face. That's so fucked up. This movie's fucked <laughs> In up. In a wreath with like, yeah. It is the most haunting image of the film. It is the most ever-present motif, I guess. Or it's, it's, it's always there. Yeah, it's an amazing image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tagline, if this picture doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) All right. uh, Merry Christmas. We will be back next week with, I think, a contemporary release, right? I think we're seeing, hopefully, a new release in the theater. Are we? What is it? You haven't told me. Uh, Well, we have two options. We can either stick with the Christmas theme and we can see the John Woo Kidman Christmas movie, Silent Night. Or we can see Dream Scenario, which goes wide. Jolly old Saint Nick coming to theaters near you. There you go. One of those two movies, I think, if we get a chance to do it. I know you're... Dream Scenario. Yeah. Okay, Dream Scenario? Yeah. Okay. And then after that, I believe, if any of you want to watch along at home, Disney Plus, the Santa Claus show is back. Uh, First and second season. No. (laughs) Adam... (laughs) We have watched every The Santa Claus no. minute that has ever been filmed. No. We can't skip it. We can't skip it, Adam. It is no. part of this no. program's DNA. Shut no. the fuck up. It is part of the DNA of why is this a thing. We have to see it through. Oh, we can't. God. We can't. We have to see it through. Listen, 
Listen, Adam, nobody could have predicted that they'd still be making this shit in 2020. I cannot believe, not only was it made into a legacy TV sequel, it got a season two. I can't believe. It's fucking crazy. I didn't think we would still be doing this. I thought for sure (laughs) it was a one and done deal. No, I thought you'd forget. God damn it. (laughs) Never forget, Adam. I can't. I think I said this last time is that I saw Santa Claus 2 before Santa Claus 1. Right, which is I, an insane thing to do. And I also saw Home Alone 2 before Home Alone 1. Even crazier. I don't know if I heard that. I That's think, insane. I want to say I did mention it when we were talking about it on the, the Christmas movie pod a while back, but I don't I don't know. There you go. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. He knew them as the Sticky Bandits before the <laughs> Wet Bandits. did. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> but they, they were the Sticky Bandits first. That just feels like such a de-escalation from yeah. stickiness to wetness. Wet, you want, it's an underrated wet movie, that Home Alone. It's very wet, that movie. There's a lot of water in that <laughs> <There> movie. <really? laughs> yeah, okay. Season two of the Santa Claus is in time for Christmas, and then we're done for the year. Then okay. it's with Hattie time, and Ooh, we start up again. Lovely. And we love you, right? Yeah. Naughty and nice, right? Didn't we have some catchphrase like that? Oh God! <laughs> You've all been very naughty, naughty, naughty. We don't do we don't do bits anymore. Oh, we don't we're do done with the bits. Anymore. That's, right, that's, that's right. sad. No more bits. You're all on my nice list this year. That's what I say. <laughs> that's cute. Yeah, I thought so. 